Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrans. Rail workers reach an agreement for paid sick days, but for only one rail company. News Guild members at NBC walk off the job. Finally, a contract for workers at HarperCollins. Today on the show, we check in with the Connecticut AFL-CIO and the heat and frost insulators. Welcome to the Monday, February 13th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Ed Hawthorne, who's been on the show before. He serves as president of the Connecticut AFL-CIO, ctafl-cio.org. Connecticut, relatively union-friendly state. In the last government report, union density ranges between 10 and 15% in the state of Connecticut. We'll talk briefly about that. Talk about their legislative agenda. One of the key issues this session is to authorize unemployment benefits for workers who go on strike. I know that's somewhat of a controversial issue. Also, we'll get an update on this. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce and other business groups filed a lawsuit recently claiming a law which was supported by the Connecticut AFL-CIO barring employers from holding mandatory meetings about unionizing is unconstitutional and should be struck down. No surprise there. Also, success during the 2022 election cycle. The Connecticut AFL-CIO beat back anti-worker candidates and, get this, they picked up some new seats. Six of the union members, they endorse won state Senate seats, including... Two open seats. The power of organized labor. That's what it's all about. Jim Lister will be joining us later in the show on behalf of the uh, Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Tradesmen, insulators.org. Insulators, of course, one of our national sponsors. He is an international vice president covering uh, New York, New England area. And uh, one of the things we're going to talk about is union labor. Still trying to erase the stigma of the 60s and 70s, when unions, according to Jim, were not representing themselves very well. He points out, you can go into a facility and hear a derogatory story about something that happened 40 years ago from a 30-year-old management employee. That should not be happening. That should not be happening. He points out that union labor is better now. Unions represent highly trained tradesmen and women who show their value and productivity and attention to detail every hour in every day. Mechanical insulation, of course, we're going to talk about that. Never gets the respect it is due. Saves money on every installation, no matter how big or small. And we've been driving that point every month here on the show with Pete Almini on behalf of the uh, Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Trust, and he'll be on the show, let's see, that would be next Wednesday. Insulators.org is their national website. (laughs) 
And now a brief look into the world of labor brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Certainly some good news for the rail industry workers. Two unions have reached agreements with CSX, one of the rail companies, to provide paid sick leave. Members of the Brotherhood of Railway Carmen, the BRC, secured four paid days of sick leave a year and an agreement giving them the flexibility to designate the use of some personal leave days for sick leave. Members of the Brotherhood of Maintenance Weight Employees, which is a division of the Teamsters, also secured four paid sick days each year and the ability to use up to three paid personal days as sick days. Got a comment here from Don Grissom. Don is the general president of the Railway Carmen. He said, we are extremely proud that the Brotherhood is one of the first unions, very first unions, to reach this type of agreement. The agreement is a significant accomplishment and provides a very important benefit for our members working at CSX. The other carriers should take note and come to the bargaining table in a similar manner. Grissom points out the work is not done as CSX has not come to terms with all of the unions that represent its employees, and there are six other railway companies who have yet to provide paid sick days to their workers. They uh, recently held a press conference on this, calling on CSX to provide paid sick days to the rest of the employees and for all the other rail companies to follow in their footsteps. As a result of what happened last week, Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, pointed out that the freight companies, the rail companies, have reported record profits. Profits earned, she says, through the hard work of union members who work in the industry. Liz went on to say, instead of investing those profits in their workforce, these corporations are spending the money on stock buybacks and dividends. Many workers in the industry lack the basic human right of paid sick leave. When rail workers are sick, they still have to go to work where they can infect other workers and passengers. By the way, there is a national push for 12 weeks of paid sick leave. 30 years ago, when Clinton was president, FMLA was passed. And I'll tell you, that was a fight just to get 12 weeks. Not paid. Well, just last week, Biden's Labor Department, still led by Marty Walsh, he's still uh, negotiating, I understand, with the uh, the Hockey Players Association. They launched a new drive to convert the law to paid family and medical leave. Sixty percent, sixty percent of the workforce who can't or won't take unpaid leave are women of color, low income, or both. They cannot. Go on without paychecks, according to the Labor Department. The ceremony was led by Marty Walsh, who instituted paid leave for Boston City employees when he was mayor. And they featured stories by workers or their representatives. Marty said the Family and Medical Leave Act is part of our efforts to improve people's lives, especially the balance between work and family. That means making it paid FMLA is even more important, so it can be more widely used. There were a number of speakers in that uh, 
press conference last week, including Liz Schuler and also Representative Rosa DeLauro of Connecticut. She said FMLA is only a first step. 30 years we've been working on this, and we still haven't gotten it done. More than 200 journalists at NBC, MSNBC, and the Today Show walked off their jobs Friday, demanding that fired workers be reinstated and that NBC Universal, the parent company of the networks and show, bargain for a fair contract. Now, according to the News Guild, which is part of the CWA, members at NBC, the company broke the law when it reduced union salaries in 2020 and did so again last year when NBC laid off several workers and stripped several others of their union protections. Changes made without bargaining before a first contract is signed, violates status quo provisions of the National Labor Relations Act and are illegal. So the journalists filed unfair labor practice charges over those violations. Comment here from the uh, Guild. We urge you to act quickly, reinstate our colleagues, agree to our just cause proposal, bargain a fair system for layoffs in the future, and begin to rebuild the trust that is necessary for our newsroom to be the best it can be. Workers are asking for supporters to send a, a letter to management. The News Guild, thenewsguild.org is a website there. After 13 weeks on strike, members of the HarperCollins Union announced last Thursday that they have reached a tentative agreement that includes increases to minimum salaries across levels and a $1,500 lump sum bonus to all union employees. They are members of the Auto Workers UAW Local 2110, and they represent 250-plus employees in editorial, sales, publicity, design, legal, and marketing departments. We're really uh, following that uh, situation, and they got a lot of support in uh, downtown Manhattan. One more here before we uh, break. Post-production workers in the film unit of Saturday Night Live have signaled their readiness to strike over frustration with the slow pace of contract talks. The overwhelming majority of the performers, artists, and craftspeople who make Saturday Night Live have long enjoyed union representation, but a team of about 20 freelance editorial employees who assemble the show's pre-recorded segments have historically been hired non-union. So the editors work long hours in a stressful environment to get the show's film skits ready for the screen on a highly compressed schedule. And last year... Again, NBC Universal agreed to recognize the crew's decision to organize with IATSE, Motion Picture Editors Guild. That would be Local 700, but the sides remain far apart on terms of a deal. All right, quick break. When we come back, we'll check in with Ed Hawthorne, president of the Connecticut Labor Federation. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. 
Find out what it takes to be built by Liuna at liuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll-free at 1-800-443-3752. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBalladSystems.com to learn more. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. Before we get to our first guest, a little plug here for the AFL-CIO. You know, yesterday was a Super Bowl. You heard me last week talking about our brothers and sisters who are making products related to Super Bowl parties, you know, all the different beers and pop and stuff like that. Well, guess what? You can also... Prepare for a union-made Valentine's Day, which is tomorrow with sweets by Ghirardelli Chocolate. Hershey's Chocolate Spirits include uh, Robert Mondavi Wine, flowers from uh, Costco, Stop and Shop. And we're talking about products made by the Baker's Union, the food and commercials delivered by the Teamsters, things like that. Just go to the AFL-CIO national website, aflcio.org forward slash union made forward slash union made i had a laugh too because uh, you can uh, also check out trojan and durex <laughs> they're both union made hey you know it's valentine's day let's be honest here <laughs> let's go to uh, line number one and uh, welcome back to the show it's been a while ed hawthorne is his name and he is president of the connecticut afl-cio ctafl-cio.org. He's been president for a little over a year now. Comes from the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. Also 
worked briefly with the uh, Department of Labor. Ed Hawthorne, welcome back to America's Workforce. How are we doing in Connecticut today, brother? Doing great in Connecticut. Thank you so much for having me. All right. I know you got a couple of issues you want to talk about, but I guess some uh, congratulations are in order here. You uh, you report a very successful 2022 election cycle. Talk to me about that. What's what's the story over there in Connecticut? I mean, in Connecticut, we, we did great. I mean, we're still waiting on that red wave that the rest of us heard was coming. So we, we, we did very well. We focused on getting union members elected as we should. Okay. Can you be specific? What what did you do and, and how many members got elected? So as far as how many members, so total union members elected in the Senate, we currently have nine union members. We have 25% of the chamber in our state Senate and 37.5% of the Senate Democratic Caucus. In the House, we elected 22 union members. We have 15% of the chamber and 20% of the House Dems Caucus. And one thing that we're very proud of is our CA member, our National Teacher of the Year, Johanna Hayes, won our fifth congressional seat by 1,842 votes. And she's very much appreciative of the union brothers and sisters that literally blanketed and, and almost uh, our canvassers pretty much lived in her district for the final few weeks. I'm really glad to hear that because I often bring up New Jersey on the show. New Jersey started this program to groom a lot of our brothers and sisters to run for office, whether it's the school board, city council, state senate. And I know the uh, national AFL-CIO has picked up on that. There, I guess there's kind of like a toolkit that, they can follow and that helped out. And obviously you got solidarity among all the people in the various unions. Do you, do you follow that kind of plan over there in Connecticut, Ed? We do. Uh, Charlie's been great with helping us out with it from New Jersey. And uh, it's called Path to Power. And we're actually just ramping it up now. We focus on municipal elections to build that bench. Uh, we get people, uh, local union sponsor folks, we become interested. And uh, they come out, we actually train them how to run for office. You know, we do messaging, we do how to run a campaign from nuts to bolts. And uh, it really gets effective. And, you know, it's something that we're very proud of here in Connecticut. Well, you should be. Yeah, I see a total of six of the union members that you endorse won uh, Senate seats, including two open seats. Now, talk to me about the, the pushback there, because... When we get folks, especially on, on you know that that are representing working people's interests, there's always a lot of money. You got the chamber, and I want to talk more about the chamber regarding the uh, mandatory union meetings. But what kind of fight did they put up in Connecticut last fall? Um, I mean, we were really the only ones out there. Uh, I was talking to uh, one of our congressional members out in the second district, Joe Courtney, and he came up to me actually at strike line. And uh, said, you know, if it wasn't for the unions, we wouldn't have any volunteers. I mean, we hit 45, 000, over 45,000 doors. We attempted almost 11,000 phone calls. We sent almost 30,000 text messages. And we sent approximately 115,000 pieces of mail just to union members. I mean, we focus on union to union educating our members. And we really did have four focuses throughout the state. We had Martha Marks, who's an AFT nurse down in southeastern Connecticut. Uh, we had George Cabrera down in uh, South Central Connecticut uh, from UFCW. We had Jan Hockadell, who's the president of the uh, Connecticut AFT down in Central Connecticut. And we had uh, Julie Kushner from UAW in Western Connecticut, and she's the former head of UAW Region 9A. 
So those were our focuses, and Jan Hockadell and Julie Kushner actually overlapped with Jahana Hayes, so it's almost a uh, two-for-one when we're knocking their doors. You know, we're knocking for uh, Jahana as well. So I, I believe we had a very good program, and, you know, uh, our political director, Joel Leon, was great uh, really coordinating all of this and getting people out there, and we really did make a difference. I can definitely say that. That's awesome. Well, you know, 2024 is right around the corner. How, how do you feel about uh, about that, about uh, next year right now? I'm really focused on legislative session right now, but next year we're going to be out there and do the same thing we did this year. One thing we did a little bit differently, as you mentioned earlier, I am a new president, so myself and my uh, executive vice president, Shelly Davis, asked our executive board to commit to putting out 1% of their members in order to canvas and what we did is we had QR codes at every one of the uh, labor walks on the weekends or during the week, and we made people sign in. That generated it into a Google sheet, which then kind of tracked everything, and we sent out weekly reports to every union to let them know where they're at regarding hitting their 1%. And some of them came back and said, hey, I don't have volunteers. What can I do? I said, well, can you give us release staff? And every three hours that they work will count as a shift. And we had, I believe, over 25 release staff members by the end of it that were, some of them were there every single day, just knocking doors and making phone calls and doing what needed to get done to make sure our union voices were heard at our Capitol in Hartford. To those of you listening right now, that's the benefit of having a young guy. And how old, you're not even 40 yet, are you, Ed? I'm 38 years old. 38. See, when you're young like that, you can embrace the technology. You mentioned the Google Maps and all that. So that's that's the, the wave of the future here. That I'm, I'm real happy to hear that. Real happy to hear it. Okay, you touched on the legislative agenda. Let's get into that. Um, uh, I was reading earlier that one of the key issues is to authorize unemployment benefits for strikers, those who go on strike. And we're seeing a lot of strikes around the country right now. So uh, what's the situation there? So right now, well, just to go back, uh, last year, it, it passed through the Senate and it didn't pass through the House. So this year, we're really you know, making this a focus and making this a push. And here's one of the benefits of getting union members elected. Guess whose bill it is? George Cabrera from UFCW. This is why you get union members elected, because they push pieces of legislation like this that matter to every union member. So right now, it's going through the public hearing process. We just had our public hearing on it. It seems to go pretty well pushing back on a, a lot of the, you know, misinformation that's being put out there. Like, uh, for instance, uh, one of uh, some of our opponents say it's going to make the uh, unemployment insurance benefit system insolvent. And the numbers we put out uh, say, you know, just looking back at the last two years, it, it wouldn't have done that because it has a two-week waiting period built into it. So if somebody goes on strike, they have to wait two weeks before they're eligible to collect. In the last two years, any strike that's been over two weeks in the state of Connecticut has only had 1,600 people. I said, I, I, I said this during my testimony. I said, if 1,600 people collect unemployment benefits and that's somehow making our system insolvent, we have real problems with the solvency of the system. So it's pretty much a misnomer, and it's you know just people trying to throw mud at the wall and see what sticks. So how many weeks do people generally, I mean, if they're not on strike, what do you, what do they get in, in, in uh, Connecticut right now? So in, in Connecticut, they're eligible for up to 26 weeks total of unemployment compensation benefits. And it begins the, the first week that you file. So if somebody's out on strike for two weeks, they would then be eligible for 26 weeks of benefits. 
afterwards uh, the way the bill is now. And this is not something new. I mean, New York has had a, a bill on the books uh, since the 70s, and it's been ratified by the Supreme Court. And uh, they recently changed it from, I believe, seven weeks to two weeks in New Jersey just passed uh, a similar bill, which allows a uh, 30-day waiting period, and they're looking to change it to two weeks as well. You know, some states are trying to knock that down to like 12 weeks, especially in the uh, the right-to-work states, southern states. So you're lucky you got the 26 weeks. You, you mentioned the solvency, or some are saying insolvency, if they you know give the benefits to strikers. How solvent is your system and i bring that up because um well we record this show in the state of ohio every day and there there was some back and forth on that as well and then the federal government had to come in and i think some of the rescue money might have gone to to that as well but what what's the status of the uh, of the program in connecticut well like every other unemployment program i believe ours owes money after the pandemic i mean i as you referenced earlier, I worked for the Department of Labor. I did unemployment insurance for over 10 years. So during the pandemic, I was working 50 hours a week doing unemployment compensation appeals hearings. So I saw the wave come in. I was one of two people in the state of Connecticut to handle the federal claims that came in for the pandemic unemployment assistance. So, you know, it, the system works and the system lifts people up when they have nothing else. And, you know, it's something that is something that is currently on the track to be solvent. We actually, believe it or not, we actually worked with uh, businesses to make sure that uh, it became, uh, it goes on a track to become solvent a few years ago. Okay. All right. Ed Hawthorne joining us on our live line today. He's president of the Connecticut AFL-CIO, ctaflcio.org, the website. You can also check him out on Facebook, ctaflcio, and uh, follow them on Twitter, C-O-N-N. Beginning of Connecticut, C-O-N-N, A-F-L-C-I-O. We'll continue with him. Later in the show, we're going to check in with Jim Lister, who's a vice president with the Heat and Frost Insulators. Back in a few minutes. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.com. 
www.afl.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. From the Golden Gate Bridge to the St. Louis Gateway Arch, the Sears Tower, and just about every building, bridge, and structure in between, our cities and towns wouldn't be the same without ironworkers. With over 3,000 contractors employing more than 130,000 highly trained ironworkers and 20,000 apprentices, the Ironworkers Union stands ready and able to shape the future of our skylines. Learn more at ironworkers.org. Ironworkers, the sky's the limit. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce Radio and Podcast. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. When you get an opportunity, just sign up, receive our shows on a regular basis, and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. So, Please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go back to the state of Connecticut right now. Joining us on our live line today is Ed Hawthorne, who serves as president with the Connecticut AFL-CIO. Ed, talk to me about this uh, law, I guess, uh, and this is something obviously you supported, which uh, banned mandatory meetings, mandatory anti-union meetings, better known as captive audience meetings. I understand the Chamber of Commerce, no surprise here, and a couple of other business groups have filed a lawsuit on this. Well, why don't you take me uh, back to that? That, I think it's quite fascinating that you're able to do this in the first place, but maybe you can uh, set the groundwork on what happened here and where we are right now. Go ahead. So for over 15 years in Connecticut, we've been pushing different pieces of this legislation just to allow people to leave uh, what's commonly referred to as captive audience meetings. For our listeners, people that don't know what a captive audience meeting is or haven't had the misfortune of sitting through one of them, during a union organizing campaign, an employer, either one-on-one, two-on-one, or in a group, will essentially keep you in a room and tell you a bunch of half-truths and lies about why you don't need the union. Often pizza is served. as we know, but uh, we really did have a focus push last year on this. And we believe that last year was the right time to do it. And it turns out it was, we actually got it passed. Uh, We had members share their stories was the most powerful part of it. I mean, we had a a nurse that was pushed into a supply closet uh, and not allowed to leave and threatened and harassed by uh, their supervisor about their support for a union. We had a, uh, a cleaner, a housekeeper uh, down at one of our hotels in Stanford that was approached by two or three white men in the middle of the night while she was minding her own business and cleaning the hotel room and uh, questioned and berated about her support for a union. And by the way, English wasn't her first language. So imagine the middle of the night, three men come into a room, close the door behind them, keep you in there, and they're asking questions that you barely understand. I mean, these were the powerful stories that we put in video form and we rolled out over the course of the legislative session. And we had a real push and we got it passed. Unfortunately, now the 
the Chamber of Commerce is upset with our success and has uh, since filed a lawsuit to declare unconstitutional. We are very fortunate to have the firewall that is William Tong, our attorney general, that has uh, filed a motion to dismiss the case, which I believe will, will be successful because I don't think they have any standing for it. They haven't been adversely affected by it. What the law does is it doesn't quite ban the meetings, but it allows, it takes the captive out of them. It allows a worker to simply get up from the meeting and just go back to work so that they don't have to sit through that harassment, which, you know, I think any logical person will look at and go, that's pretty fair. So, Ed, prior to this law, if they got up and decided to leave that captive audience meeting, they could probably be dismissed or fired from their job. And that's not the case right now. Am I am I clear on that? Absolutely. You could be disciplined. You could be fired. Yes. And what this law does is it protects them and it makes it so that their constitutional right of free speech, of not having to listen to speech they disagree with, is protected. And that's all the law says is that, you know, these people don't, you know, give up the right to free speech when they come into work. Now, the chamber is saying this violates businesses' free speech rights by barring them from disseminating truthful information. I can't even say this without laughing and uh, expressing opinions about important matters. So you don't think that that's going to hold up in in court then? I, I am confident that it will not. Okay, good, good, good. And where are we? What stage are we with this uh, this lawsuit right now? Right now, they're, they're, the attorneys are still filing motions and still at the very, very early stage. In fact, the Chamber of Commerce has impeccable timing. They filed this lawsuit a week before the election. <laughs> not surprised, not surprised. All right, what's this other situation going on there with uh, with state employees? And it's kind of related to the Janus decision from the U.S. Supreme Court. Can you fill us in? Well, one thing that uh, we had uh, Janus legislation uh, kind of fought back against the Janus decision. And one thing our state employees have is, well, as we all know, uh, Janus essentially made state employees uh, able to uh, kind of just become scabs, so to speak. I mean, there's no other way to put it. So we've had a lot of turnover with our state employees. We had uh, a changeover in our pension calculation, which caused many to retire. Not as many as uh, we thought, thankfully. But uh, what we have now is when uh, someone is hired, they, the union, who whatever local would cover uh, that area, gets one hour with those people. And obviously they can leave the meeting without saying they're held captive. But we get an hour just to describe what the union is, what we do, uh, let them know how we're here to help them, how we can help, and uh, get them signed up and sign those union cards and become you know, good union members and become active. And I remember, uh, you know, they, we always did it voluntarily at the Department of Labor, and I remember my first day probably signing that union card for AFSCME Local 269 and even signing up for uh, contributions to our PAC as well. You know, it's interesting you brought that word turnover up because we had a guest on the show last week talking about the, the high turnover, especially for a child care workers. And some of them are making like a little over eight bucks an hour. And uh, there's been a push to raise the pay there. Do you know anything about that? I mean, are, are, is the legislature finally going to handle that? Because uh, I mean, that's ridiculous. How do you survive on on a, on a wage like that? Well, we're, we're very fortunate in Connecticut. We get good union members elected, and uh, we get good union members elected. And Julie Kushner, the, head, the former head of UAW Region 9A, along with Robin Porter, who's a CWA member, 
led the labor committee and we passed a $15 minimum wage. The $15 minimum wage will be in effect this summer in Connecticut. Uh, we're also working on getting rid of the sum minimum wage here in Connecticut. We call it one fair wage. And we're saying that, you know, a waitress in a restaurant shouldn't have to grin and bear sexual harassment in order to get tips to survive. I mean, it is, it's time. Yeah, it is. Well, there's issues everywhere in America. So it's good to know that the wages will be going up because uh, I tell you, I know the cost of living with inflation and all that, you cannot make ends meet. And I still can't believe that the federal minimum wage, you too, I'm sure, is still seven twenty-five an hour. It's still stuck there since I believe it's uh, 2009. And believe it or not, there's still people, especially in some of the southern states that are still working with that kind of wage. But that's another story. Ed, anything else you want to bring to the table before we uh, before we leave here? Just one thing to add. Our, our minimum wage is going up to uh, $15 an hour, but it's also indexed. So as the cost of living goes up, so does the minimum wage. So you don't have to vote on it every single year. So we, we've actually, <laughs> once again, Connecticut is off that problem. Very good. CT, AFL-CIO.org is the website. Ed, you take care. Thank you uh, for joining us. Keep us posted on that that lawsuit, okay, brother? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me again. You got it. Jim Listers with the Heat and Frost Insulators in New York and New England, and he is coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. 
There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, Canada and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. to Ed Flash Ferrans with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Real simple. That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to Boston, Massachusetts right now. Joining us on line number two is Mr. Jim Lister. Jim is an international vice president on behalf of the Heat and Frost Insulators. He covers all of New York and all of the New England states. And uh, he started... With the insulators back in 1979, light years away from today. <laughs> Jim Lister, welcome to America's Workforce. How's uh, how's everything in Boston, Massachusetts today, brother? It's exceptionally warm for this time of year. Yeah, bizarre weather. Bizarre weather, no doubt about that. You know what? There's a lot to talk about here. We're going to get into mechanical insulation. I want to talk about uh, the difference between unions when you started and today. I know you want to get into that, but talk to me about why you got involved in the insulators back in 79. Can you uh, can you go back to that time and tell us all about sure. it, Jim? Sure. It's, you know, when you're younger and you go into a field of work, I was kind of led into this field by an older brother. I, I delivered material first and then learned about the union, what they did, and then when I took the test and was accepted into the union at age 20. I, uh, I liked what I did. I enjoyed it very much. It's, you know, you're in a different setting. The jobs change. You're inside, you're outside. It's never the same. If a job's not a nice job, you know, it's not going to be forever. You know, you'll be on the next one, the next one. Always interesting construction, big high rises in Boston, you know, it was. Uh, I looked forward to going to work every day. I enjoyed what I did. Why? Why the insulators, though? Well, that was just it. I had an uncle that was in the business as an outside super, and I worked for that shop delivering material. And just you know, in delivering the material, I kind of learned about what they did, and it seemed like something I I could enjoy. I mean, I like to work with my hands. I have my builder's license, you know, just I'm a person that's mechanically inclined, that type of thing, and mm-hmm. just uh, something I could handle. Good. And then you rose up the ladder, and now you're international vice president, New York and all those states. Uh, that's a lot of territory. What, uh, what's, the, uh, what's the work in that territory right now when it comes to mechanical insulation? So there's a lot coming. Boston's, Boston's been busy for quite a few years now. You know, they have... They actually have travelers in upper state New York. There's a bunch of different locals in upper state New York and they stay busy, but there's, there's big work coming, you know, the infrastructure and then the, there's some chip plants going to be built in upper state New York that uh, are going to create a shortage of manpower. They're going to be jobs that are so big that uh, they'll be looking for people. 
it'll be a good time for the non-union people to jump into the unions, you know? Yep. What about the apprenticeship programs? Can you speak to that in the, in the territory that you cover? Yeah, we, well, we I, I mean, we all have the same basic training process that, uh, you know, it's a four-year apprenticeship and it begins at uh, 50% of the mechanics wages generally. Some of them are a little bit different, but, uh, you know, and like every union, it's it's all about the benefits, that the, the great health insurance, you know, your safety training and you're not just being put out on a job, you're being shown the right way to do things and the safe way to do things and how to report things if they're not safe and you know, we're all looking out for each other and mm-hmm. want to make sure everybody goes home at night. And we try to train everybody yeah. to do things the right way. Well, fortunately, the area that you cover is uh, pretty darn union friendly, especially New York. I mean, they have over 20% union density and the, yeah. the rest of the states over there in between uh, 10 and 15%. So that's got to make you feel pretty good. Go I don't ahead. have the same problem. So my brother... Vice presidents have the, across the country, you know, with across the country in Canada. I mean, there's different issues down south, and it's it's tough. You know, unions have unions have a to get over a stigma from years ago. You know that it's not the same old union it was 30 years ago. It's uh, it's different. You know, we go into facilities, and you'll you'll be talking to a 30 something year old person, and he's He's telling you a story about unions years ago, and it's just been passed down through management. And the unions, you know, we're we're lean and mean now. Yeah, they've changed. We we're good days work for good days pay. That's what it's all about. Professionalism. Yeah, that's, that's interesting that uh, that you bring that up. Uh, so, what are they like grooming the young people to be anti-union? Is is that what's happening today? It would seem that way sometimes. The stories are passed down, you know, and the actual, you know, the gentleman or woman can't possibly know it firsthand because they weren't alive. Right. But, right. You know, the unions have changed, and uh, you know, we know that what one person can do. A well-trained person can do productivity in a day that they'll pay two or three cheaper people to do the same. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I mean, it's it's a stigma that we need to remove and prove that unions are very important to this country. So let, let's talk about that. What, what needs to be done here? Um, are we talking national, state, local, or a combination of everything here to kind of re-educate the workforce? Is that what needs to be done? Yeah, I would think. I, I think that, you know, it's, it's it's you get into politics. Politics play an awful part that in cities and towns when, when contractors come in to build and they go for permitting and, you know, the politics of it all could help that you ins- that, that, that the cities and towns insist that you use local residents that are in the building trades. And, you know, that might require the union contractors but that uh, doesn't doesn't seem you know profit wise for the builders for the developers they seem to think that they're going to save money and that's that's a fallacy yeah what do you think now with the Biden administration i mean many are saying he's probably the most pro union president since fdr yeah well, some- i think that marty walsh has a a great influence on him as the secretary of labor and yeah, I think that uh, 
President Biden's doing an awful lot for unions. It's just, is, is he going to capture the vote of all the union people? It's, it's, he runs again, you know, it's, yeah. there's a lot of work coming. You know, the infrastructure money is, hasn't really rolled out in, in, in the country. And then, you know, like I said, upstate New York, they have chip facilities that Micron and uh, they're going to, in Rochester, they're building a uh, battery recycle plant for the lithium batteries. It's it's just some huge jobs coming that haven't broken ground yet, you know? Going back to uh, President Biden, the day after he delivered his State of the Union message, which was last Tuesday night, he went up to uh, Wisconsin to speak to the uh, brothers and sisters at a labor hall which was part of Labor's International, Terry O'Sullivan and Lyuna. And and then you mentioned Marty Walsh. Okay, if you don't mind, uh, being a Boston guy, you got to know Marty pretty well. What do you know about him uh, leaving the Labor Department, Jim? Uh, I'm kind of disappointed myself. I mean, you, the jobs, there's a lot more to do. But I guess, you know, I'm told that secretaries leave after 18 months, two years. Generally, that's what they're, they're, they're there for that time. And then it's time to move on. I mean, you know, it's Marty's moving on to a good paying job. You can't turn your back on that. That's Yeah. Yeah. $3.5 million is nothing to sneeze at if he goes to the NHL Players Association. What won't be the last we hear from him, I'm sure. I mean, uh, you know, you can... He can get out of politics for a while, and he can get back into it later on, I hope. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Let's talk about mechanical insulation here, and uh, many are saying it just doesn't get the respect. Can you uh, can you address that? Sure. It doesn't. It, it's You know, uh, when it comes to uh, projects, mechanical insulation is – is uh you know it's it's an add-on at the on the mechanical package the plumbing the heating the air conditioning and uh when they look to cut dollars out of the budget it's insulation they phase out or reduce and that's that's not a good decision because once that building becomes active all those systems are going to run day and night for the next 20 30 years and the the Pennywise, dollar foolish, you know, eliminating insulation, you know, means those systems are going to run longer and harder and cost more in fuels to heat and cool that building. And who was smart? I mean, there's no savings there. It could amount to uh, hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars in big buildings. And, the, you know, even in a residential home, it could be dollars. And, you know, dollars times 365 days times... 20 years, it adds up. It adds up always. I mean, if they used mechanical insulation, if it was mandated that mechanical insulation had to be on every in every home and in every system, this country wouldn't burn half the fossil fuel it burns today. Yeah. Yeah, I got a good education from your brother, Pete Almini, who's uh, one of our regulars on the show from the uh, Labor Management Trust. So we've been hitting that message pretty, pretty hard. And there is that federal legislation. We'll find out if it's been reintroduced. They introduced it in the last Congress that would pretty much uh, mandate it in federal buildings. What do you know about that uh, legislation right now, Jim? Uh, it's It's been put in a few times, and we're just, you know, trying to get Hillary Clinton there was some language back when she ran, and she understood it. She she knew insulation, and she understood what we were all about. And 
you know, she was pushing for it, but you know, it, it just it dies on the floor. We just have to uh, keep trying until we can get our message across. You know. Yeah, I I don't get it because this is a no brainer. I I mean, it it almost pays back as soon as it's installed. I, I don't know why that message isn't getting across. You kind of indicated that they just want to cut it out to make the. Uh, especially the contractors, they want to cut it out to make it just more affordable not, when they when they do construction? Is that it? That will not necessarily cut it out, but reduce or eliminate where they can. Value engineering, you know, that doesn't sound right. It, it's you're not engineering value here. You're, you're reducing the cost because the mechanical insulation is not in, inexpensive. It's you know, it carries a price tag, just like the the pipe being installed, the insulation being installed is carries a price, but it it pays for itself in a short period of time. Return on investment, mechanical insulation. You know, now with these different computer programs, they can they can show that value. How quick you can get your return on investment? Six months, a year, the money it saves paid for itself. It's amazing, you know. Then then they also. There's an article I read, but it's a, you know, one three foot section of insulation on a steam pipe, medium pressure steam pipe has the same effect on the climate that planting 46 trees would have. That's amazing that that, Mm -hmm. but that's the comparison that, you know, it's on paper. It's, it's proven, but it's just translating the message to the, to the consumer is very difficult. Yeah. It's just like fighting that 30-year-old management employee who still doesn't like unions, you know? It's the right. same kind of right. same kind of education that we have to just keep pounding and pounding and pounding. Well, the good news is, again, a lot of organizing going on. You mentioned the Infrastructure and Jobs Act. I mean, there's a lot of work ahead. This is a very good time to get involved in the trades, a very good time. It so, is, it is. And the, and the trades, you know, that's no, no, no one's a closed-door policy. Everyone's open to taking new members and completing their training and, and making them part of our union. You know, it's a, it's a great time. Insulators.org is the website, insulators.org. A lot of information posted there, so those of you listening want to get in the field, now's the time to do it. Jim Lister, International Vice President, New York and all the New England states, a lot of territory. I'm sure you got a lot to do in the months ahead. You take care, stay in touch, brother, okay? All right, thank you. All right, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, the Communication Workers of America and more. Until then... All of you have a wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.